Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. It's Monday morning, isn't it? <laughs> hope you all uh, had a great weekend. I hope you didn't get caught up in the ice too much. It was around the area. It's sure great to be with you all this morning. Would you want to give thanks again to our worship team? Thanks for the ministry they've given to us. For those of you who don't know me, I'm David Wright, president here at IWU. always enjoy being able to be with you in chapel when I can do that. You know, we've had a lot going on, and I just wanted to shout out a few people before we uh, get into our panel this morning. Uh, and I, I can't get everybody's names in here, but, but uh, I, I think we had maybe one of the first times we've had a Crossroads League track and field indoor invitational this past, week, past weekend. And our men's and women's teams did really phenomenally, so give them a shout out. Give them a And I know some of the other teams were active too, so uh, great job, all of you that were, uh, were, were, were active this weekend. I, I want to call out a particular person, Chrisanda Johnson. Are you here, Chrisanda? Chrisanda? So she is doing undergraduate research on Kurt Vonnegut, and her research has been accepted to be presented at a national conference of undergraduate research at University of Central Oklahoma in April. So give her a hand. One more quick thing, uh, Garrett Howell, are you here, Garrett, with Awaken Ministries? I don't know if Garrett's here, but if you know anything about Awaken Ministries, a wonderful discipleship ministry here at IWU, over 600 leaders, discipleship student leaders from several different universities across the country were here last week for a, for a conference on that. Just a phenomenal thing that God's doing with us here. Well, Love Revolution Week. You know, I truly believe that we are becoming a beautiful community that reflects the kingdom of God. Now we, we have fits and starts. We take a couple steps forward and a couple steps back every now and then. Sometimes we say and do things that we ought not and we hurt people's feelings. But you know what? I believe God is at work among us and he's making us a better place. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. What does reconciliation have to do with the work God is doing us to shape us into the kind of community that truly reflects the love of Christ? Could our campus be a shining example of the complete body of Christ? Could we model something that the world desperately wants but doesn't know how to create? That's the cry of my heart. That God would do something here that the world desperately wants and he could produce it here. If the Holy Spirit can't do that among Christians, we got a problem. Amen? Yeah. Wake up, guys. It's Monday morning. I know. Wake up. <laughs> so, I invited this group of panelists because they are people I admire. They teach me. They inspire me with the work that they're doing in these areas. And I think you're going to enjoy uh, their insights so uh, many of them will be available after chapel and at lunchtime if you'd like to chat with them further about their journey and their insights into the work that God's calling us to do. And then Reverend Beatty will be uh, available this evening in Reed Hall from 7 to 9 for uh, reflection time. So let me introduce them and we'll kick off. Mrs. Petra Ray is one of our university trustees. She and her husband, Kyle, on the end, are pastors of Kentwood Community Church up in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, she's also an alumna, a graduate of Indiana Wesleyan University Seminary, Wesley Seminary. And she is an executive uh, in human resources with the GE Corporation. Petra, great to have you here. Would you welcome her? 
Reverend Santis Beatty uh, is the Director of Multi-Ethnic multi Ministries for the Wesleyan Church. He's based down in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, I know he had a career as a football player in college and uh, has done reconciliation and multi-ethnic work at the university level. He's a consultant. He now helps with various church planting and uh, churches that are on this journey of reconciliation together. Mrs. Robbie Henson. Anybody here had Robbie in class? Or? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Robbie's almost 30 years faculty member here at Indiana Wesleyan University, directs our writing center. She and her husband, Mike, pastor the Bethel Worship Center, which is a multi-ethnic church here in Marion, Indiana. So I've asked her to come and share some of her insights. And then Pastor Ray, uh, you've had heard before, he's spoken to us at Summit. He's a senior pastor, lead pastor at Kentwood Community, trained as an engineer, called by God into the ministry and, and pastoral work. And what a delight to have these folks with us. So Petra, let's start with you. You're one of our trustees, and as a trustee, you give leadership to the administration, to the university, in the direction you all want this university to go. So could you share with us a little bit about the aspiration of our board for the university regarding reconciliation and inclusion? Sure. Good morning, IWU. It's a pleasure to be back with you here um, again. Um, but what I want to say is that since we live in a fallen world, we have to be intentional about diversity. It doesn't just happen. Otherwise, yesterday at 11 a.m. would not have been the most segregated hour in our nation. And when I joined, uh, I was uh, asked to join the board and elected to, to join the board in 2011. And um, at the time, I was the only African-American on the board. Thankfully, since then, it's changed, and there are more African-Americans on the board. But I remember uh, more African-Americans, yeah, more African-Americans on the board. But I remember about 18 months into my time being on the board, there was a change in presidency. The former president resigned, and obviously Dr. Wright now is, is the president. But I was asked to be a part of the presidential selection committee. So we went through a um, process. And one of the um, important things that we were looking for in the next leader for IW IWU was that the person would have a heart for diversity and inclusion. But you know, it, it wasn't just, that, that wasn't something that we were looking for. One of the things that we're looking for because it was the popular thing to do or the politically correct thing to do. We were looking for it because God cares about diversity and God cares about inclusion. Amen. And we wanted a leader that cared about that so that IWU could become that type of community as well. Um, and one of the things, so there have been many changes um, since uh, President Wright has become president, and it's not that the, it's not that the diversity journey started with President Wright. It was a continuation and a growth along a journey for this. Um, yeah, um, and so one of the things that um, changed was that on the, sitting on the executive council as a vice president for multicultural enrich, enrichment and employee development. You won't find every university that has that level of a position on a university board. And the reason why that role is a part of the executive council is because it's so important here. Now, it doesn't mean that since that position is on the board that we have arrived or always get it right. 
but it's a journey, right? You know, I think about my own journey um, that started um, when I, my husband and I showed up at Kentwood Community Church almost eight, uh, yeah, over 18 years ago. And at the time, it was 99.99% white and about 2,500 people worshiping there. And, you know, my husband and I were one of about five black families in the church. And now KCC is about 70% diverse and is 18 years later. So what I'm trying to tell you is that the journey of inclusion and diversity is a long journey. But it starts with intentional steps, um, both on mine and my husband's and other minorities that have called uh, KCC home um, to stay there and go through that journey, as well as for the leadership to make and to have intentional steps to become more inclusive and more diverse. And it starts with little things like um, the pictures that we have on the walls. Do they reflect a diverse community? Um, when we worship on Sunday mornings or even in this room, are the people that we see on stage reflective of the diversity that we want to see in the university? And so, you know, KCC has gone through that journey, and IWU is going through, through that journey, and I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of that journey with IWU. Now, of course, there are still a lot of things that can be done because um, we haven't arrived yet, but we're making those intentional steps. I mean, I think even having the Love Revolution and the Day of Courageous Conversations, and I think about a few years ago when there wasn't an MLK Day of Celebration and other university-wide celebrations to celebrate the different ethnicities here. So, um, so each time we meet as a board, of course we have several committees, and one of those committees is the multicultural, uh, is the multicultural committee. Now there can be, you know, of course many committees that make up a board, but we are intentional each time that we meet to talk about diversity and inclusion on campus, the things that happen, how we can make the campus, uh, or how we can encourage the faculty and staff to make the campus better and have programs and um, things that are impactful to move the needle. Thanks so much, Petra. So, you know, the board is my boss. Petra's my boss. So uh, I pay attention to what their aspirations and their desires are for the university. So, Reverend Beatty, talk to us a little bit. This idea of reconciliation, we use that word a lot. Where does that word come from theologically? What's the, what's the theological content that would drive a community like ours? Thank you, thank you, yeah, Dr. Wright. I, let, me, let me start here. I think uh, Will Mancini says it really well that we are often kept from our goals, not always because of obstacles, uh, but a clearer path to a lesser goal. Uh, and I think at some level, diversity alone has become a lesser goal for us. Um, and part of the challenge is that this is more than a the diversity issue, right? This, uh, this is an issue um, that is much deeper than that. And, and if it's only a diversity issue for us, it becomes optional, right? It becomes a good thing to do, maybe, if we can uh, do it. Uh, but we find Jesus, John, Paul, and many others uh, talking about this, not just as an issue of diversity, but they talk about it as an issue of discipleship. 
And so uh, when we're talking about the theological underpinnings of this conversation, there are a lot of places we could, we could go, right? It'd be easy uh, to go to Revelation 7-9, right? Where it talks about every tribe, every nation, uh, every tongue uh, being in heaven, right? And the question becomes, if the kingdom of heaven is diverse, then why aren't so many of our local churches, right? Um, and then the other thing we could do, it'd be really easy to uh, talk about Ephesians 2, where um, Jesus comes and he breaks down the walls of hostility, right? That, that the two might become one, that we would be this one new humanity. It'd be easy to talk there. Or we could talk about the passage that was mentioned earlier, 2 Corinthians 5, where it talks about us being uh, Christ's ambassadors and we've been given the, given the ministry of reconciliation. All of, those, all of those would be great places to start. But what I want to do is talk about John 17. And John 17, beginning at verse 20, uh, it says this, and, and, and note that this is actually the passage of scripture that was used uh, when the Pilgrim uh, Holiness and the Wesleyan Methodist connection merged uh, some years ago to what we now know as the Wesleyan Church. It says this, it says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them would be one. Everybody shout one. one. Now, I haven't always been a Wesleyan pastor. I grew up kind of Baptocostal, so everybody <laughs> shout one. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory. Everybody say glory. glory. That you gave me that they may be one as you and I are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Hmm. Then, somebody shout then. Then. then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So in this passage, there are actually uh, what we might refer to as two henna clauses, right? A henna clause is kind of an if-then clause, right? Uh, the if uh, constituents or calls for something else to happen. So, for example, if I were to say it was raining outside, like pouring down raining, and I said, if you went outside without an umbrella, then you're going to get wet, right? So if you go outside, then you'll get wet. So this is the kind of clause that we see here. The if opens the door for the then, right? So here, here is the then, right? The, the, the if is if we become one. The then are actually two things. So here's the first one. The world will know that you sent me, hmm. right? Hmm. In other words, the world will know that I am who I said I am if we become one. Yeah. Second thing, they will know that they are loved by the Father. Now, when you think about those two things, both of those are extremely important, that the world will know that Jesus is who he says he is, and that the world will know that they are loved by the Father. All of those hinge on this fact of being what? One. So if I were the enemy, if I were someone trying to keep that from happening, uh, to keep there from being any form of unity, I would go after divisiveness. I would try to detour. I would try to distract the church. And that is what the enemy has tried to do because he knows this passage says, if we become one, these two things happen. Now, to be honest, now there are a lot of reasons why there's a lack of oneness, why there are all these walls of divisions, right? Here's just one. Did you know that in 1787, Richard Allen and Absalom Jones had the audacity to pray at a, a, a white Methodist church in Philadelphia where they were at the altar and it was a whites only section of the church. And whites were so enraged uh, by their uh, boldness that they picked them up, carried them out of the church because they would not go up to pray 
pray in the Negro section. Uh, weeks later, some blacks heard about what had happened, and they decided to buy a blacksmith shop um, where they started what we know now as the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Some years later, a 12-year-old boy, African-American boy, who grew up in Rayford, North Carolina, gave his life to Christ at a revival in 1987. That little boy was me. So in some ways, to be honest, I've always been Wesleyan. <laughs> Think about it. So here's the point. At the core of this is reconciling people to God, reconciling people to people. So if you ever get like distracted or if it becomes overwhelming what this is really about, it's really about those two things, reconciling people to God and reconciling people to people. I was, I was out uh, speaking at a church um, and it was the night before I flew in uh, the night before. I was hungry. It was late. I was trying to look for something to eat and everything was closed. And all of a sudden, guys, I see a Popeye's. Popeye's chicken with the light on. So I wheeled, I wheeled that rental car into the drive-thru, man. I said, ma'am, can you just give me a, a two-piece? You know what I'm saying? Can you just give me a two-piece? Can you give me, you know, some, some, uh, some of the green beans and rice? And she said, sir, I'm so sorry. We're out of chicken. <laughs> I'm like, you're so crazy, ma'am. I thought I heard you say we out of, you're out of chicken. She said, sir, I, I'm, I'm serious. We are out of chicken. I'm like, ma'am, you Popeyes. How are you going to be out of chicken, right? So here's my point. Like, I think sometimes we run the risk of being like that Popeyes. How in the world can we be the church and not be serious about reconciliation? It's almost as if people come to our doors or they come to our universities and we say, ah, sorry, we're all out. We don't want that for our university. We don't want that for our churches. So, so what is this biblical foundation, right? So Brenda Salters McNeil talks about it this way. She's in her book, uh, Roadmap to Reconciliation. She says, reconciliation is an ongoing process. Everybody shout process. Involving forgiveness, repentance, and justice that restores broken relationships and systems, somebody shout systems, to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. So I would simply add that Wesleyans, as Wesleyans, we believe this in this strong sense of a process called sanctification, right? Where we are made more and more like Christ. God has done his part. We must then do ours. So if you think about it that way, reconciliation is very similar uh, in that, that Christ has already done his part, but we are to pursue reconciliation because of what he has done. He has already tore down the walls. Now we must do our part to live out of what he has called us to be and to do. It must be frustrating at times to be God and to see us ask for things he's already given us the ability to do. So as Wesleyans, we have a rich uh, tradition, right? We have a rich history that began with John Wesley uh, taking a stand against slavery and our founders doing the same when they broke away from the Methodist church over this issue. We were pioneers in those days, pushing back the darkness uh, and uh, dealing with oppression, hate, and divisiveness. But if we're honest, we soon lost our saltiness in this arena. 
we were absent for much of the civil rights movement. And we still today, as was mentioned, uh, many of our churches, over 80% of our churches in the U.S. are mono-ethnic. Sunday mornings are still that 11 o'clock segregated hour. And the, the fact of the matter is, that's not just true of American churches, it's true of our Wesleyan churches. And if you look around, around the room, it's true of this university. And so the question becomes, what do we do now? I believe we got a lot of work to do, right? When the history books are written 50 years from now, 70 years from now, what will it say about what we did? What will it say about how we engaged in this conversation? I hope it will say that we changed the narrative and that we reversed the trend. Not because of our changing demographics, not because of uh, it's just a good thing to do, but because it is sound theology and sound ecclesiology. Because it is more than just a diversity issue. It is an issue of discipleship and our very spiritual formation is at stake. Thank you so much, Reverend Beatty. So, Robbie, you and Pastor Mike Henson have, uh, for what, almost 30 years, I guess, you've been leading a church to become a multi-ethnic community here, worshiping community here in Marion. You know, I, I think we're aware that Marion has a troubled history in terms of race and, and uh, still a divided community in many ways. And so your community is kind of a beacon of hope, I think, in, in Marion. So what have you learned through that process? He wants me to say what all we've learned in about five minutes. I don't know <laughs> um, if that's possible. But um, we, um, we did start about 28 years ago about the worship center. And my husband's, one of his deepest goals was to have a church body that reflected the body of Christ, that operated in a spirit of unity, um, that was not a white church, not a black church, but God's church of all colors. And so it required, as we've already heard today, uh, being intentional about it. And so one of the things that he did, first of all, was start preaching the very things that we've heard from Reverend Beatty, and that is the 17th chapter of the book of John. If I had money for every time I've heard my husband preach on unity and oneness, um, of the body of Christ, I would be really wealthy right now. And so just teaching it and getting um, the need for reconciliation um, in the body of Christ into the hearts of people, um, that was the first step. The second step was just really being intentional. We started meeting up with our African-American pastors in the community and having joint services, joining together with them, having them in our church, um, their preachers in our pulpit, their singers, um, we would go to theirs and just worship together and get a feeling for what it meant to worship together as the body of Christ, um, regardless of color. And then the Holy Spirit began to direct Pastor Mike to um, just reach out into the community and meet the needs of the community. And he told him one time, he said, if you will reach out and love the people that nobody else wants, I will send to your church people that everyone wants. And so we started reaching out into the community, and that, um, that looked a lot of different ways. Um, we started um, Celebrate Recovery. We um, 
our kids went in, our youth leaders went into the junior highs and high schools and started bringing kids to church. And these were kids from um, drug-addicted homes and from abusive homes, and they would come to church and give their hearts to Jesus. And then they would go into their homes, and they were being abused by their parents because they, because they had chosen to serve Christ. And so we saw a need to make a safe space for them. And so God blessed us to be able to open up discipleship homes that would um, house some of these students. We have wonderful people in our church who sold their homes to become house parents. And we taught these kids how to sit down and have a family dinner. We taught them how to handle their finances. We taught them how to get jobs. We helped them get an education. IWU has partnered with us in that. And we have some of those residents, I think, are students on campus right now. And um, so reaching out into just the hurt and the broken, regardless of color, regardless of race, was so important to us. That led to opening Hope Cottages, which is a home for uh, mothers who have been drug addicted, and they've gone through drug court, and they're working to be reunited with their children, and so we offer them um, cell groups, discipleship, um, mentoring. So discipleship has really been the core of what we've done with these kids and with these mothers in order to help them reunite with their children. Um, and in the process, um, several years ago, um, we were just really praying, Lord, help us make connections, help us make connections. And one of our young moms met a young Latina woman at a mops and and invited her to church, and so she came to church and gave her heart to Jesus, started bringing her Latino friends, and so then we decided, okay, we need to start translating our services, so we started translating our services in Spanish. Eventually, we started a Hispanic service, which we still have, and um, and so just trying to meet the needs of the community and welcome people into our church, regardless of color, regardless of race, and um, and it's, it's been a learning curve, and one of the things that I did um, early on, on, not just me, but several of us, um, some of the friendships that I started to build, I asked these um, precious friends, if I say something that's offensive, if I say something that I should not say, if I say something that crosses a line, will you please tell me? I want to I be right, I want reconciliation, I want us to be friends, and I don't want to be offensive. And what that required it was for us to enter um, a, an uncomfortable space. And I've never forgotten uh, many years ago after a prayer um, group, one of my friends of color, she pulled me and a couple of other women aside, and she said, I just want to tell you that I overheard some conversation before prayer started, and um, she said, here's how I heard that as a person of color, and I know you love us, and I know you didn't mean it, and so I want to love you enough to tell you how this sounded, and so she proceeded to tell us, and that gave opportunity for repentance and, and explanation and, um, and forgiveness, and it's so important if we're going to operate in unity, if we're going to be in one mind, in one body together, it requires being uncomfortable. It requires forgiveness. It requires being humble enough to know that we can make mistakes and say things that we shouldn't say and even maybe have opinions that we shouldn't have. It requires confronting some things in ourselves and then truly loving one another enough to teach one another 
how to work together and how to be one body operating in unity in Christ. And so that's probably the most important thing I've learned. It's just it, it all comes down to love. It all comes down to being willing to learn and, and teach and be uncomfortable when it requires that. Thank you so much, Robbie. I think all of us that have been on that journey and open ourselves to that place of vulnerability, one of the things I've realized is that when you get truth given to you, you have to decide what am I going to do with the truth. And, uh, you know, it's so easy for us to be defensive, isn't it? And to try to reject it or explain it away or whatever. And uh, the more the Holy Spirit works in my heart, uh, there has to be a humility there to accept and to understand. And, and even if I don't really understand it or I don't, don't know how to deal with it, at least to to ask the Holy Spirit to be active in my heart to teach me. So it sounds like you've learned those, some of those lessons too, right? You mind if I say something? Please, Reverend Beatty. I think, you know, from a theological standpoint, to take what was just shared, uh, Philippians 2 is a great example, right? We call it the kenosis passage where Jesus does the emptying, right? He, he gives up his rights. He gives up his preferences. He gives up his position in order uh, to, to help um, redeem humanity. And I think part of our challenge is, are we willing to give up some of our preferences, our preferences in music, our, our position, our power, in order to experience true humility? And I think that's a, a powerful example, personal example of that. So, Yeah, thank you. Well, Pastor Kyle, you've ministered to us before. We love you, buddy. It's such a great inspiration to me personally in the work that you do. You and Petra are dear friends and, and, and an inspiration. You've given almost 20 years of your life to one community to help them move along in this journey. And there have to be some real lessons that you've learned as a minister of the gospel in that process that you can share with us. How does a Christ-centered community like this one take this journey together? Thank you, Dr. Wright. Uh, good morning, Iwu. Good to see you all again. You know, a wise person told me that when you do a panel like this, it's possible that by the time the last person speaks, uh, you've forgotten what the previous people have said. I just want to encourage you that I, everybody up here said something valuable, and I'm just adding to the com conversation, but I don't want the last thing I say to be the only thing that you remember. When it comes to living this out in the life of a local church, Kentwood Community Church has been on a journey for about 18 years to try and really be a reflection of heaven, to try and reach the diversity in our surrounding community. We happen to be in a school district that has over 70 different languages spoken in homes and 70 different nations of origin on birth certificates. And when we showed up 18 years ago, that wasn't the case in terms of the diversity in the church. And so, yeah, now the church is 70% white and there's a lot of diversity within the church. I could probably go and have refrigerator rights in um, people from many different nations, from Nigeria, from Ghana, from uh, the Philippines, from uh, Puerto Rico, Cuba, and I know Puerto Rico's part of the U.S., don't think I messed that up, um, Cuba, uh, you know, El Salvador. I, I keep going with the people that are in our church that are true friends because of the intentionality that has been undertaken in the life of KCC. But here's what I wanted to focus on uh, with respect to this panel. And I could easily, I could write a book about some of the wounds that come along the way. I could write a book about the joys that have come on this journey. When I was earlier on the journey, I used to hear it said this way and I experienced it this way. There are probably two kinds of organizations that become ethnically diverse. One is the organization that gets real intentional about 
policies and practices and staffing and, you know, all of these things that Iowa was undertaking that KCC has gone through in terms of the pictures on the wall and the videos that we use and all of that. And all of that matters. But then there's a second type. And that's the type that really creates some space and allows some freedom for the Holy Spirit to move. Because when the Holy Spirit moves, the Holy Spirit breaks down walls that divide people. See, one of the things we realize is that in church we talk a lot about God the Father and we talk a lot about God the Son, but sometimes we neglect the role of the Holy Spirit. Santee's reference Ephesians 2 earlier. I want to read to you just one passage from Ephesians 2. And while I'm reading, I'm going to ask our lead guitar player for the day, Isaiah, to come back out. Uh, Francesca Battistelli wrote a song called Holy Spirit some years ago, and I'm going to ask him to start strumming that song. I got to be real with you all. I said I wasn't going to say anything about it. It's a little bit weird to get here today, be talking about diversity on this panel, and have straight up bluegrass going on. Come on. <laughs> a, a banjo on the platform. Like, now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing or judging because I've told our people, you know, it's not always about the genre of the music. It's really about is the spirit at work through the musicians and the folks who are worshiping. So God can use bluegrass, God can use gospel, God can use contemporary Christian. I was just a little thrown off because I don't know if I've ever seen a banjo on a worship platform ever in my life. But I can add that to my list of experiences today. Kind of like the first time I ate at Waffle House or Chick-fil-A, just saying. Ephesians 2, um, beginning in verse 19, says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Friends, I got to tell you, Iwu can do a ton of things from a policy perspective in terms of practices and hiring and the professors that you see in your classroom and the curriculum that's chosen that exposes you to a variety of authors and scholars and all of those things matter. They're important, but they will pale in comparison to the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do to create that kind of community that's described in Ephesians 2. When you showed up at this place and decided to come to a Christian college, bear in mind that you decided to enter into a space where you welcomed supernatural things to happen where you said that I can't do it all in my own strength. I can't pass my exams in my own strength. I can't study in my own strength. I can't build community in my own strength. I can't change the world in my own strength. Don't get me wrong. I know everybody that came here is not a Christ follower. But this place ought to be bathed in the work, the person, and the power of the Holy Spirit. 